Good morning, everybody. You all are a rowdy bunch this morning, aren't you? Talkative. I'm, I'm, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad everybody's awake and here. Um, uh, I want to start off by saying happy birthday. Eight years ago, on the first Sunday in February, we had our first Sunday morning gathering in uh, Bryce's living room on Fox Trace Cove. And uh, it kind of doesn't seem like that long ago, but to put it in perspective, between uh, uh, Blake and Bryce and me, we only had four kids at that point. <laughs> and now we have uh, a, lot, a lot more kids than that. And uh, it is a blessing. Uh, so uh, I'm glad that we're still here eight years later and that the Lord is still at work. Um, Bryce is not here, obviously. Uh, he is filling in for a friend of his who's taking some time off, a pastor friend of his who's taking some time off. And so Bryce is preaching in his stead this morning. And so I am preaching in his stead this morning and um, I'm glad to be doing it. Um, I want to start by reading uh, a passage from Isaiah chapter 52, and it'll be on the screen, so you can read along with me. This is what it says, Isaiah 52, starting in verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm. And before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Amen, right? Amen. Um, how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. And that uh, good news is that the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed his people. He has bared his holy arm to accomplish salvation for us. And uh, that is a great message to carry. It is an honor that he has given us the task of carrying that message. And uh, that's what we're going to be meditating on today. As, as Blake already mentioned earlier, this is kind of where we're, gonna, we're camping out today. Uh, this is a pretty well-trodden path. In Romans, um, Tony just read for us. I want to read it again. Uh, it says, How then will they call on him and whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So in chapters 9 and 10, uh, which, you know, if you haven't been with us very long, we've been going through the book of Romans for a long time now. And in, the, in chapters 9 and 10, Paul is lamenting the unbelief of his people, the people of Israel. Uh, he remembers what it was like to be in that place of unbelief. And so when he looks around and he sees the people that he loves, the people that are his earthly family, and he sees that they don't believe, it breaks his heart. And, and he's expressed that um, uh, poignantly in the last two chapters. He longed with all of his heart for his brothers and sisters to believe the gospel and to be saved through Jesus. At this point in chapter 10, Paul has just finished making a point uh, about the people of Israel who are attempting to establish their own righteousness by keeping the law of Moses uh, with great religious fervor. Uh, but Paul says that despite the fervor that they were living with, they were ignorant of the righteousness of God and that their zeal was misguided because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The righteousness had always been the result of faith and not of keeping the law. And Christ was the ultimate fulfillment of that. He was the ultimate fulfillment and object of that faith. And so last week, uh, Bryce preached um, from Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 9. If you haven't, uh, if you haven't experienced the VBS that we put on, there's a lot of that sort of thing involved. Uh, and uh, so we haven't, done, we haven't done one in a few years, but uh, we used to do neighborhood uh, VBSs in different places. And we would come up with silly little tunes like that so we wouldn't forget the Bible verses. And that was one of them. Um, so I'm sure, I'm sure we'll be doing some more of that um, 
in the coming years. Uh, it's true, though, right? Uh, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, everyone who believes, everyone who in faith transfers their trust to Christ as Lord will be saved. Just like Abraham, Paul said that, uh, well, Exodus says that uh, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And Paul uh, mentions that earlier in Romans. When we trust in Jesus for salvation, he clothes us in his righteousness. This is the only way to be reconciled to God, the only way of rescue from our sins. And Bryce has reminded us over the past two weeks that salvation is the Lord's. He accomplishes it, he offers it, he completes it, and he keeps it. And the church is comprised of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and every generation. And yet we all have the same origin story. We were dead, and Christ made us alive. He gave us faith to call on his name, and he saved us. So this brings us to where we are today, which in classic Paul fashion isn't really the main point of what he's talking about. But it, is, it has become foundational to the way that Christians uh, live out their faith and how we share the gospel. Uh, I think that says a lot about Paul's uh, ministry, that even his kind of asides have these huge, far-reaching impacts. Uh, but he kind of does a little like rhetorical moonwalk. He kind of like walks backwards through these ideas. He says, how then will they call on him when they've not be- in whom they have not believed? They won't. And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? They won't. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? They won't. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? They won't. So his point is clearly that we should be doing all of these things in order that people would believe. Uh, so we're going to break this up in reverse order of what he does it, which is a little more logical and chronological of an order. Uh, we're going to talk about sending, preaching, hearing, believing, and calling. So point one is sending. Verse 15 says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We'll talk about uh, the preaching part of this in just a minute. Uh, But the idea of sending applies in two ways, like a a general way and a specific way. So we're going to start with the general general way. And we get this general sending from uh, the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28. It says, uh, Jesus came to them and said, all authority, has, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This applies to all of us, right? As we go, as we live our lives, we are to make disciples, to baptize them and to, the te- to teach them the ways of the Lord. Jesus saved us to rest securely in his hand, knowing that no one could ever snatch us out of it. But he didn't just save us to sit and soak, as the old Baptist saying goes, right? Uh, He saved us in order that we might become his ambassadors, his messengers. He sends us to go into all the world on his behalf. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So similarly to how the Father sent Jesus into the world to reconcile the world to himself, Jesus now sends us into the world to speak on his behalf to deliver his message of good news. He reconciled us to himself, and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I don't know why, but God decided that he wanted to make his appeal through us. He could get things done a lot more efficiently without us. Uh, But he doesn't. He sends us, ordinary, average people like you and me. And this is how the gospel has been passed down through millennia. It's possible, and it happens, that someone can pick up the Bible and read it and be saved, or hear the gospel in a song and be saved, but the primary means of the gospel being passed down, and the primary means of people hearing the gospel is when God's people share it with other people. Uh, If you're a believer in this room, I want you to think about the person or the people who first shared the gospel with you. Most of us have people like that. A pastor or a coach or a friend or a parent or a teacher 
uh, I think of Gary and Gay Beasley and of Randy McGuess. Who do you think of, right? Get, get, get the person or the couple of people in your head. Now, think about the fact that all of those people that you have in your head also have people that they could think of that shared the gospel with them. And on and on it goes, back through the pages of history, all the way back to the disciples. Like, that's how the gospel gets passed down, right? That is how the Great Commission is fulfilled. And it is not efficient, but it is beautiful. That is how God has chosen to work. That is how he has chosen to spread his love into the world, to, to, for us to be a tangible expression of his love for the world. How are they to preach unless they are sent? In the same way that Jesus sends us into the world to preach the gospel, we, as Vintage Church, send each other into our communities to make disciples, to proclaim his message of reconciliation. We send each other to our neighborhoods, our workplaces, to our friends and our family to live missionally. It's one of our core values as a church. Flourishing relationally, living missionally, they kind of go hand in hand. Your entire life is an act of worship and your entire life is a mission field. So we as a church send each other to make disciples. We expect each other to make disciples. It's not just a job reserved for the elders or the deacons or the well-known uh, Christian figures or whatever. Like, it's not just their job. It's your job too. It's, this is what we do. So the question to ask is, is this true of our church right now? Is this true of you personally right now? I've been asking these questions of myself a lot lately. The pandemic is real, and it's been difficult. It has necessarily put a pause on uh, some of the ways that we normally live our lives and some of the ways that we normally operate as a church. So, but even though circumstances have changed, nothing presses pause on the mission of the church. You know? We shouldn't be too hard on ourselves in that the circumstances have changed, but we should hold ourselves accountable to the fact that have we pressed pause on living out this commission, this sending charge that we have been given from the Lord? Even though the circumstances have changed, the heartbeat of our church and our, our sending charge has not changed. So have we used this time as a reason to be creative in the way that we are meeting and loving and discipling people? Or has it become an excuse for us to enjoy our echo chamber, to sit and soak have we become the dreaded Christian cliche of the holy huddle? You know, leaning into people that are like us, shunning those who are different, who disagree and who don't believe? Because that's what our culture does, right? We push everybody away. We say that if you are different, if you don't agree, if you don't believe, if you're not on the same page as me, then we just, we got to cut ties. That's dangerous. And that's not the love that Jesus calls us to. Have we lost the intentionality that we used to have? Right now, we're not able to do our normal, a lot of our normal church rhythms and outreach. So what? Paul was shipwrecked like a bunch of times, and it didn't stop him. You know, he didn't, he didn't let the circumstances that were presented with him, presented to him, to sidetrack the mission that the Lord had sent him on. He adapted to the situations that were beyond his control, and he served people in love because that's the work his king sent him to do as his ambassador. So the question for us is, what are we going to do? What are we, and if we're going to be obedient ambassadors of Christ, and life is weird right now, what are we going to do about it? If we can't do things like we used to do them for a little while longer, what are we going to, going to do to obey the king who commissioned us? How are we going to adapt? Because if we don't adapt, we will be disobedient to the Lord. These are things we have to consider. We have to ask these questions of ourselves. Because nothing has changed as far as our mission. Nothing has changed as far as uh, the Lord is concerned. Our circumstances have changed. And so we should adapt like Paul did. These are hard questions that we have to answer. But they're, they're things we have to ask of ourselves. And I've been asking these things of myself lately too. Now, there's a general sort of sending involved in this passage. And there's also a specific sort of sending uh, every believer is sent into the world as an ambassador of Christ, but there are some people that God calls particularly to cross boundaries for the gospel, leaving jobs, selling homes, moving to new places, faraway places, making unusual sacrifices to do kingdom work. Paul is actually a really good example of this kind of sending. In Acts 13, it says this, 
Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who we know as Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Paul and Barnabas left the church at Antioch and traveled for about two years, preaching the gospel, planting churches, stirring up the good kind of trouble. It wasn't always, it wasn't always good for them, um, but it was good for the kingdom. And then they returned. Um, Paul later continued his work on two additional missionary journeys, Three, if you count when he was arrested and sent to Rome, and we should definitely count that because that's how we got the book of Romans, um, and uh, that's how a lot of people believed the gospel. Paul wasn't the only apostle, that was sent, the only apostle who was sent out in this way. Um, if, we, if you read the book of Acts, and you should, read the book of Acts to get a sense of the drive and the intensity that burned within these early missionaries. They encountered insane circumstances, and they saw the Lord do magnificent work. Some left home never to return, some left for a time and did return, but it was a unique calling. God still sends people out in this way, and our church values this. God may be calling some of you to be sent out in this way, and it's important for us to consider this in our own lives. God calls us all to cross the boundaries of comfort to share the gospel with those around us, but he calls some of us to make these unusual sorts of changes, to go places that others do not go. So, is that you? I think of my friend uh, Chris Wallace, um, who some of you may, may know. He was on staff at Heartland Church for a number of years. He and his wife, Christy, um, moved to Bismarck, North Dakota at the end, uh, uh, le- the later part of 2019, uh, to plant a church there. There is a massive shortage of gospel-centered churches in that area, and uh, so they saw this need, and they answered the call to meet this need. Our church supports them financially as they're getting started. About a year ago, they started um, small group meetings, basically missional community meetings um, together. And then on January 10th of this year, they had their first Sunday morning service, which is super exciting. The Lord is doing work there um, that is amazing. And, and he would accomplish his work regardless, right? But for some reason, he called Chris and Christy to go there. And they obeyed, and now they are seeing fruits from the labor that they've put in. And they are seeing fruits of the Lord's Spirit at work. Um, I've known others who've lived long-term in places as far away as Turkey and China, India, Mexico, Canada, and Belize. um, And as close as Montana and East Tennessee. No matter your age or your stage of life, we must be open to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And to be sent in this specific sacrificial way. That could be us. It could be me. It could be you. And we have to listen to the Spirit um, because he works uh, in mysterious ways, but he works in purposeful ways. Similarly, we must be open to the leadership of the Holy Spirit to send those who are called out in this specific way. Our church believes in this, and that's why we've built in missionary support into our yearly budget. There were churches in our area who sent us to do this work, and they supported us financially for several years as we were getting started. And so we want to be a part of the same sending work in sending um, other missionaries and other church planners out and support them and their efforts. Um, Also, though, we should be involved personally. It's not just something that's like, oh, okay, cool, I'm glad that's in the church budget. It should be. But also, this is something we should be involved in personally. John Piper said this about missions. Know this. Jesus Christ has other sheep besides the fold in this room. Because the, ev- the evangelical fold in America, or the, beside, pardon me, let me start that quote over again. Know this, Jesus Christ has other sheep besides the fold in this room. Besides the evangelical fold in America, or the Christian fold in America. He has other sheep besides Christendom. And if you love the glory of God and you love people, you have three possibilities. Go send or disobey and if you are not a conscious goer or a conscious sender you are disobedient to the glory of god and to love go send or disobey it's that simple i might even go so far as to say go and send or disobey 
Um, we are all called as ambassadors to Christ to go, um, whether or not we're going far away or not, we're all called to go, and we are all called to be a part of a church that is sending in some form or another. So how are you obeying this call? How are you helping those sent as missionaries do their work? Don't look past this. It kind of seems like something, that's eh, not really a big deal, it doesn't really apply to me, I don't really make that much money, or I'm too young, or I'm too old. No, it applies to you. If you are a Christian, it applies to you. Um, we'll talk about some practical ways to get involved in that in a few minutes, but we have to consider that. Moving backward through Paul's uh, rhetorical exercise here, it brings us to the question, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? So point two uh, is preaching, and as with the sending, there is a general sort of preaching and a specific sort of preaching. So the general preaching um, is this, along with our general charge as sent ones, as ambassadors of Christ, comes the natural extension to preach the gospel, because how are they to hear without someone preaching? Ambassadors are sent out to other nations to be heralds of their homelands, messengers of their governments, proclaiming not their own message, but the words of their kings and their presidents and their prime ministers. That's what ambassadors do. So as ambassadors of Christ, we've been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. And God is making his appeal to the world primarily through us. So, preach the gospel. You, 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 me, preach the gospel. That's what we're here for. Be a herald of heaven, proclaiming good news of happiness and publishing peace and salvation. Paul told Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Uh, J.D. Greer went as far as to say that we are debtors to those who need the gospel. We owe it to them to share the gospel with them. Um, not sharing the gospel with people who need it is like stealing from them or hoarding, right? You've, some of you have probably seen the show Hoarders, right? It's horrifying, right? It's a horrifying thing. Don't be that with the gospel, right? We are supposed to share the gospel with people. We owe it to them. He said we, we, had a couple of, we have a couple of uh, choices when it comes to our responsibility to preach the gospel. Uh, we could deny our responsibility to preach the gospel, which is a slippery slope because if you start denying that Scripture commands you to do things, then it gets real bad real quick. Uh, so we can deny our responsibility, we could ignore our responsibility, or we can embrace it. So I urge you, embrace your task as an ambassador of Christ and preach the gospel. There is a popular quote that uh, is wrongly attributed to Augustine that says, uh, it makes the rounds on the internet and memes and stuff sometimes, and it says, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. Now, uh, first of all, Augustine didn't say that. Uh, secondly, I'm, I'm sure that this came from like a really well-intentioned place, uh, but it is fundamentally flawed. And it creates this false dichotomy between words and actions. Preaching is a verbal action. You have to speak to do it. That's how it works. Uh, this speaking can take on a lot of forms, and it can happen under a lot of different circumstances, but you have to speak. Now, actions do come into play here uh, because your actions give credibility to the words that you are saying. Uh, let's say that I was a def uh, defense attorney, which is funny to think about because I'd be terrible at it. Uh, but let's say I was a defense attorney. I might call a doctor up to give testimony that would prove that my client could not have committed the crime he's been accused of. So I get up, the, the doctor gets up there, I ask him a few questions, he gives testimony from his expertise and his experience, and he shows, like, there's, there's no way this guy could have done it, right? Well then, let's say then that the prosecutor comes up to cross-examine and he says, Dr. So-and-so, is it true that you had your medical license revoked last year for malpractice and tax fraud? Game over, right? Nothing that that doctor said matters now, right? Because we can't trust this guy. He's, he, he's a fraud, right? Like that's, he, he has no credibility. Um, this is how our actions affects the, affect the words that we preach. You must absolutely preach with actual language, but we also must maintain a credible testimony. Are we credible witnesses? Are you obeying the commands of the Lord personally? Are you walking in a manner worthy of your calling, like Ephesians 4 calls us to do? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? If not, then when you try and preach the gospel, what reason would your unbelieving friends have to take your word for it? Why would they care if you 
aren't a credible witness. The way you react when you're cut off in traffic, the manner in which you discuss political issues, the things you post on social media, the way you treat people who aren't like you, all of these things can either add to or subtract from the credibility of your testimony. So I think that the false Augustine saying would be better put like this. Preach the gospel, use words, be a credible witness. It's a, it's a holistic sort of thing. The Christian life is not one of compartmentalization. Uh, for the Christian, Jesus becomes Lord over every aspect of our life. And all of these facets are connected to one another. So live the gospel with your whole life. Preach the gospel with your words. In addition to being a credible witness, we must take intentional actions to connect with those who near, need to hear the gospel. I mentioned this earlier. We have been sent today, right this moment, to preach the gospel to our friends and our family and our coworkers and the people that are in our sphere of influence, the people with whom we share our lives. You already have the opportunities. Like a lot of times we like, you know, we say, pray for me that I might have an opportunity to share the gospel. You've got opportunities. You just have to be faithful with them. God might bring you new opportunities, but be faithful with what God has already given you. Um, as Bryce put a couple of weeks ago, um, well, we, a lot of times we hope for these moments, right, where the heavens open and we preach eloquently and we like say everything just right and the person is just sitting there listening with this look of awe and reverence on their face and then they like get on their knees and they believe in Jesus. God doesn't often work like that, right? Bryce mentioned a few weeks ago that God mostly works in little moments, in ordinary mundane things. Sometimes he has the big miraculous events, right? Those are real and they happen. And I'm sure we can all think of, of kind of these mountaintop experiences that we've had or experienced or heard about. But most of the time, it's going to be uh, awkward, small things. And we have to be faithful with these. We have opportunities right now to preach the gospel. So we have to ask the Lord to open our eyes to see what's already in front of us. And we have to be faithful in it. Don't shy away from it. Make a point to spend time with the people in your life who need Jesus. Invite them to dinner. Call them. Ask them how they're doing. Bring them in close. Uh, you'll see the opportunities come. When you make yourself concerned with them, when you care about people, and you let them know that you care and that you are concerned, you'll see the opportunities that you have to preach the gospel. Sometimes you'll get to make a full and clear gospel presentation, like maybe we were taught in a class growing up. Um, but most of the time, it's going to be little moments. And we can't let these moments pass by without acting. Um, our gospel preaching um, will happen in conversations over time. Some of them will be deep conversations, some of them won't. But we have to make ourselves available. We have to be willing. We have to reach out intentionally to unbelievers. We have to befriend them and invest ourselves in them. Then they'll hear the gospel in the words that we speak, and they'll see the gospel in the way that we live. We should be preaching by every avenue possible. So be creative, especially now when we have these obstacles before us. Be creative. Think of ways that you can serve and go deeper with those in your life who don't believe. Start working out with them. Get Marco Polo on your phone and start having conversations in between other things that you're doing uh, throughout your day. Start a book club. Share meals. Meet needs. Help out in ways that you are uniquely qualified for. Fix their cars or paint their kitchen or sew a more comfortable mask or figure out their taxes. Tune their guitars. There's a lot of people here who that's specific to. Um, do these things for people, for people who need Jesus. Even if they inconvenience you, even if they annoy you, seize these opportunities that the Lord has put in front of your face and do them. Be faithful with them. Amen. Proclaim the gospel. Herald the gospel. This is what living missionally is all about. This is being an ambassador of Christ. And if you recommitted to our church covenant last week, you literally signed up for this. All right? This is what we did. Like, this, is, this is who we're supposed to be. Um, one quick side note. When I was taught about evangelism growing up, there was a good deal of guilt involved. Um, it was, at the very least, implied that if a Christian fails to share the gospel, that there will be people who end up in hell because of it. Uh, it's the blood on your hands tactic uh, that gets used a lot these days. Um, can I tell you, this isn't true, right? This, this is not true. Uh, um, we don't have to preach the gospel out of fear, right? There's no fear in love. Uh, we don't have to preach the gospel out of fear. God will not love us any less for our failings, and no one will end up in hell because of us. 
Yes, the Bible is clear that we will have to give an account of ourselves, but we don't have to fear it because Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. Our confidence in every aspect of life is in him. So we obey his command to preach the gospel, not because we have to do it in order to maintain favor with God or because if we don't, it'll be our fault that someone is punished eternally. We obey his command to preach the gospel because we can. We get to obey. Jesus has already perfectly obeyed on our behalf. He has already perfectly preached the gospel on our behalf, and he invites us into the work that he's already doing. It's not about us. So we have this general sort of uh, preaching, but we also have a specific sort of preaching. Some men are called specifically to teach and preach as pastors or elders. This is the kind of thing you see every Sunday behind the pulpit. Um, side sermon, uh, a brief one. Uh, don't mistake this specific kind of calling, people who are called to preach. Um, people who do this sort of thing are not any more important than you. Right? It's not any more... Uh, valuable to the body than any other part, right? The, uh, Paul talks about, we talk about Paul a lot, don't we? Uh, he talks about the fact that uh, the, the church is like a body and every body part is important and we all work together to make the mission of the church happen, to obey what the Lord says. So you can't use the excuse that because you're not as eloquent or persuasive as Bryce or because you're not as brave as those people leaving their homes to go to foreign countries to share the gospel that you're not of much service to the church. That's not true. It's not true. You are ambassador of Christ and you are called to preach the gospel. Um, if you are a Christian, God wants to use plain old little you to do the job. Now, that being said, there is, scripture is clear that there is a specific calling uh, for some people to preach in this unique way. Um, and that calling is vital to the life of the church. First Timothy chapter three says this, uh, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be, uh, aspires to the office of overseer or elder or pastor, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well and with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Again, in Titus, Paul says, uh, For an overseer, as God's steward must be above reproach, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. This is a specific call. It is a God-ordained call. These qualifications that were mentioned by Paul must be met. A process of examination must go on. Uh, within the church. Uh, a pastor by the name of Steve Lawson said that there are no self-appointed preachers in this sense. You don't get to just declare yourself to be a preacher. Uh, he said that pastors and elders have some distinguishing characteristics, like one, they are compelled to preach. It's something that they desire. They are competent. That's very important. They desire to intently study scripture and to teach it accurately. They are confirmed. Others in their church, specifically the elders of their church, recognize and agree with this calling on their lives. There is fruit. People are accepting Jesus. The church is being blessed and nurtured by their ministry. And then there are opportunities. There are circumstances which God has allowed so that this man can preach. Uh, opportunities for him to minister. So it is possible, and Lord, I hope that it is true, that God is raising up more people like this within our midst. More preachers who are called to be elders and pastors, and church planners, and missionaries. Is this something that the Lord has been leading you toward? When you read the scriptures, like what we just read in 1 Timothy and Titus, do you see yourself in these qualifications? Do you desire to preach the word in this way? Is that a longing that you have? Because if so, you need to be open to the Spirit's guidance. Um, the church needs leaders like this. Our church and the church in general, we need leaders like this. So, this brings us back to the first couple of questions that Paul uh, asked in his list. He said, how then will they call on him and whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him 
whom they have never heard. So our last point for the day uh, is hearing, believing, and calling in faith. Hearing, believing, and calling in faith. Paul makes a distinction here um, between what he calls believing, how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard, and calling. How then are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? Uh, remember what the preceding verse uh, just said before he starts asking these questions. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Paul is using the word call here to refer to genuine saving faith, submitting to Jesus as Lord, as we discussed a few weeks back. This submission to Jesus as Lord is the faith that saves us from our sins. It gives us rest and peace and spiritual satisfaction, and it sets us on the path of sanctification. Jesus becomes our treasure. On the other hand, Paul's use of the word believe in this passage seems to refer to a mental ascension um, of who God is, but without faith, uh, a calling without belief. Uh, An example would be a person who from everything you can tell, has not really seemed to be interested in God or spiritual things or anything like that, but who frantically posts on Facebook asking people, calling all the prayer warriors to pray for a loved one who is ill or who's been injured or something like that. Now, obviously, we should pray for people in that situation. But when we treat God like that, when we only go to him because he is the one in charge, right? It's like he operates a cosmic vending machine. And the blessing that we paid for and that we deserve is stuck. We call the manager to come fix it. Right? That is not genuine saving faith. That is calling on Jesus as manager, not Jesus as Lord. Right? It's, it's a different sort of thing. And this is pretty common. This isn't common in all areas of the world. It's pretty common in the Bible Belt. Where culturally, yeah, we all believe in God, you know, for a lot of people uh, in the place that we live. Um, it's this sense of if, if, I, if I pray when something is wrong, then God will fix it. And that means that God is good and that means that he loves me. Which none of that is necessarily true in that order. That's not how that reasoning works. But that sort of thing, um, begging and pleading God to grant our wishes, um, is not, that's not saving faith. And it can be a step, right? Like this sort of faith... Uh, this sort of, um, I don't know, believing that God is there and that he can fix things. It can be a step on the way to saving faith. But it is not saving faith uh, in and of itself. Um, it's not especially true, especially in, modern, in the modern world. The Bible Belt is kind of a weird little you know, pocket in the world. But generally, um, a lot of people may not even accept that there is a God out there who, um, who is in charge of things, who can fix the vending machine. Um, in various uh, evangelism training courses that were popular around the turn of the century. Isn't that funny to say, turn of the century? Um, we were taught to say things like, uh, if you died today and you stood before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Right? Well, these days you can't, you can't ask questions like that because there's no guarantee that an unbeliever even thinks that there is a God out there. Right? We can't suppose that that is true of everyone anymore. It is not a cultural given that people believe that there's a God out there. Um, So we may find that as we preach the gospel, that on the way to genuine faith, people first have to kind of make this stop along the way to admit that there is a God out there who seems to be in control of everything. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, Surprised by Joy. He was an atheist. He was like anti-everything, the gospel, everything, uh, Jesus... Uh, because, and he was too smart for it, right? On his way to faith, he, he kind of, there were steps like this for him. And this happens with, with some people that they have to admit, okay, maybe there's somebody out there. Maybe there's something out there. There's something controlling the universe. But that's not saving faith. And so Paul makes that distinction here. Um, so it brings us to a point that, that Paul makes in verse 16. Since I've been moving backward through all these questions, I want to start at the beginning and go through it in the order that Paul says it. So we can see the context of what, he's, what he means. So the end of verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have never heard? In whom they have never believed. They have not believed. Pardon me. How, how then will they call on him in whom they have never believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So under this last point, uh, letter A is not all will obey the gospel. Many will hear and not truly call upon the Lord for salvation. Paul is grieved by this, as, as he's, he's shown us in chapters 9 and 10. We are sent into the world as ambassadors to faithfully and passionately preach the good news of the gospel, but we will see relatively few trust Christ in faith. Uh, submitting to Christ as Lord is a command to be obeyed, and many will not obey that command. Paul quotes Isaiah here, who, if you recall, uh, things didn't go well for Isaiah. The people didn't listen to him, and tradition says that he was eventually killed. Uh, so we shouldn't expect that just because we are faithful to preach the gospel, that every unbeliever that we know will trust Christ. Uh, that kind of expectation is kind of like a bit more sanctified version of the vending machine thing, right? Well... I preach the gospel. I put the money in the machine. Uh, therefore, my friends will be saved. God should give me what I deserve. I, I upheld my end of the bargain, so now God's got to save them. And that ain't it, right? That's not how it works. But remember that Jesus told us that if they reject the gospel we preach, they aren't really, in essence, rejecting us. They are rejecting him. He warned us that it would happen. We've said it a thousand times, but the gospel is offensive. The idea that you have to submit to Christ as Lord is uh, it's anathema to our culture, uh, a culture that values individual freedoms and self-determination so highly. Don't tell me what to do is a prevailing sentiment in a lot of the world, but a particularly in 21st century USA, right? Not everybody is going to obey because not, not all people want to submit to the lordship of Jesus. No one does apart from his in, um, interceding. This is a bummer, but we should expect it. Um, so why do we even preach then, right? Isn't God sovereign? Isn't he really the one who's going to do the saving anyway? Didn't Romans 9 just tell us that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy? Why do we need to even preach the gospel at all, right? Well, there's two reasons. God commands us to do it. And if we preach, people will believe. It not, it's not going to be a lot, but if we preach, people will believe. That's the next point. B under here is some will obey the gospel. Some people have accused Calvinists of uh, downplaying the importance of evangelism, since God is going to save his people anyway, right? It kind of takes the responsibility off of us. We don't have to do anything. That's garbage. If God, uh, it, sorry, we evangelize because God is going to save his people, right? It motivates us to do it because we know that it's going to happen, right? Not everybody that we, that we preach to is going to believe, but some people will. It is guaranteed. God is going to save his people, and that is the driving force behind it, right? If God is sovereign and he's going to save, then we should. We should preach because it, it's going to happen. We evangelize because God is going to save his people in spite of our bumbling attempts to be worthy ambassadors. The first time I shared the gospel, I was a mess. It was right after 9-11. I'd never done it before. I was 17. Yes, I was 17 years old. I was not there, right? And uh, I got done sharing the gospel, and the girls, it was, it was right up here in the band hall. Um, and, it, and, and the girl said, okay. And I was like, okay. God, that's not how it's supposed to go. It says here in the guide that they gave me in the evangelism class that, like, you know, like, I'm supposed to, right? She said, okay. Uh, the next summer, she came back to me and said, hey, I'm getting baptized next Sunday. You know, like, I haven't been able to get our conversation out of our head since last summer. And so it's not going to go how you think it's going to go. But if you preach, people are going to believe. It might not happen the way people say it's going to happen. It might not happen at all for some people, but it's going to happen. God is already at work in the hearts of unbelievers, and they don't even know it. He has been plowing the field and clearing away the obstacles and fertilizing the ground to prepare it to receive the seed of faith. C.S. Lewis talked about uh, how his love of literature and mythology and academic research were all parts of the way that God tilled his heart before he believed. God knows what he is doing. He knows how to bring the harvest. And when we preach the gospel... That's the moment that the Holy Spirit has been working up to for who knows how long. A good example of this is the story of Peter and Cornelius from Acts chapter 10. I'll summarize it, but you should go home and read it because it's nuts. 
It's a crazy story. Uh, so there was a Gentile centurion named Cornelius, and Scripture said that he feared God, right? He was a religious man, and uh, he, was a pretty, he was pretty faithful in his uh, religious duties. He gave to the poor. He prayed to God. Um, he was a man who had believed but not called on the name of the Lord. So an angel appears to him and tells him that his prayers have been answered and that he should send some of his men over to Joppa and bring back a guy named Peter. So Cornelius obeyed the angel. He sends his men. Uh, in the meantime, Peter is on a rooftop in Joppa praying, and he has this vision that you've probably heard about. It's the reason we eat bacon. It's this vision where uh, he sees the Lord. The Lord commands him to kill and eat an animal that Jewish people considered unclean. And, Paul's, and Peter's like, I can't do that. And, uh, and the Lord says, what God has made clean, do not call common. So while Peter is trying to figure out what all this means, uh, Cornelius' men show up and explained why they'd been sent there. So Peter went back with Cornelius, went back to Cornelius with them the next day. And when he got there, he found that Cornelius had invited a room full of friends and relatives to be there when Peter arrived. By this point, I think Peter had worked out that his vision was mainly about the fact that he needed to preach the gospel to Gentiles as well as Jews. And so Peter obeys. He preached the gospel. The Holy Spirit fell onto this room full of people and they believed. And then Peter baptized a whole bunch of them. Right? It's crazy. But that, the Lord still works like that. Right? It might not always look as whatever is that, but the Lord still plows hearts for us to go and preach to. It may not seem like it. You may not feel like it. You may be alone. You may feel like you are alone in all this, but you're not. God has invited you into something that he's, he's the one that's accomplishing it anyway. He just wants you to be faithful. God is at work right now in the hearts of our unbelieving friends and family and in the hearts of unbelievers in places you might be called to go in the future. He will save some of them when we preach the gospel to them. It is a guarantee. The Lord has bared his holy arm. He has accomplished salvation for his people. And this is the hope that we act upon. We won't see very many believe, but we will see some. And when we enter eternity, we will see that this sum, that this thing that appeared like not very much to us here, is really an innumerable mass of souls that the Lord is plucking out of their condemnation. So this passage concludes with the sentence, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The world needs to hear, so we need to go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus. That's how they're going to believe. So I want to close with a couple of points of application, some, some practical ideas. Uh, remember, our choices are to go, to send, or to disobey. Uh, so use this as a frame of reference when you think about this issue. So uh, the first application point here is go. Make an intentional plan to deepen your relationships with the people already in your life who don't know Christ. Preach the gospel to them first. That's what the disciples did, right? They preached the gospel to the Jews around them, the people in Jerusalem, and then they went out into all the world. Be faithful with what God's already given you, and then pray that the Lord would show you the boundaries you need to cross to reach people you haven't even thought about reaching yet. In what ways is he calling you to make changes, big or small, for the sake of the gospel? Is he calling you to leave home for this? Is he calling you to seek being an elder or a pastor? Is he calling you to get to know the new neighbor across the street? Pray and be sensitive to what he says. Be willing to do hard things for his sake. Two, send. How can you help bear the burden of those who are called to cross the big boundaries and go far away for the sake of the gospel? There are a few practical ways to do this. Tithing is one of them, right? When you uh, tithe faithfully, you support the work that we are doing as a church, and you support the people that we support uh, through our uh, church budget monthly. Um, part of your tithe supports the work of Hope City Church in Bismarck, North Dakota, where Chris and Christy Wallace are. Um, part of your tithe goes to aid in the work of resettling refugees through world relief. So tithing is one way that you can support, that you can send. Uh, directly giving to missionaries and sending organizations is another way. You can give directly to people like Chris Wallace uh, and become more involved in the work that they are doing. You can get to know them. He sends out, uh, Chris, this is true of, of many church planners and missionaries, but he sends out a monthly newsletter. He makes a video and says, this is what we're up to. This is how it's going. Thank you for praying. You can pray for these specific things. Get involved in what they're doing. Uh, give directly to them. Pray directly for them. Be active in your support. Uh, 
Um, if you don't, if you need help finding someone to support, talk to us. We can help you plug in somewhere uh, so that you can be involved in sending someone specifically. Um, your prayers should go hand in hand with your giving. Sending is a whole church process. It's not just something that we come up with on the budget, on the leadership retreat, and then quietly fund. I mean, that is part of it, but it, it involves all of us doing our parts and sending. So get involved. Uh, and then three, don't stop. Go, send, don't stop. No matter what life throws at us, don't stop obeying these commands of the Lord. Circumstances are going to change. That is life, right? One of my favorite books in the entire world is Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day by Judith Viorst. He has a really, really bad day, right? And at the end, he's, he's finished his last complaints for the day, and he says, my mom says some days are like that. Even in Australia, he always says throughout the book, I want to move to Australia. She says, some days are like that, even in Australia. So you're going to have bad days. It's, think life is going to be hard. Circumstances are going to change. So what? Don't let that sidetrack the mission, uh, your mission as an ambassador of Christ. Be faithful. Uh, Eugene Peterson said that our lives should be a long obedience in the same direction. So may the arc of our lives bend toward trusting and obeying and preaching the gospel of Christ. No matter the cost. Let's pray. Lord, you are good to us. And we don't understand why or how you involve us in your process, in your work, in building your kingdom, but you do. And uh, I pray that you would help us to be faithful. Help us to see day by day what it looks like for us to preach the gospel. What it looks like for us to be faithful. Um, God, help us not to give in to doubts and excuses why we are unworthy to do this. Um, and help us not uh, give in to guilt that uh, we have to do this or you will be disappointed in us or you will not love us as much. Help us to embrace the truth of Scripture, Lord, that you, just, you command us to obey and that Jesus has already obeyed perfectly for us. You're inviting us into the work you've already started. So God, help us to be faithful. Help us to trust you, to trust in the fact that you are going to save people if we preach the gospel. Oh, we love you. We pray that you continue to teach us these things and sanctify us in your truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.